we're back in the land of plenty plenty of dang people but plenty of friends also and uh we're here with uh some guys that hunt with us you guys can go introduce yourself morgan my wife is back thank goodness they're on the podcast I'm Jeremy, and I do contracting the pay-to-bills, part owner of Backbone Mountain Guide Service. Hello, I'm Eric Jaroski. I am a retired law enforcement officer, and I am the other half of the Backbone Mountain Guide Service in Maine. Jim Marshot, me and my wife own Rustic by Design Fireplace and Patio, and I guide bear hunts in Maine. And I helped my son in Montana with some lion hunting. So we're having my dad on this podcast also because you guys, the, the hunting outfit is based out of Maine. And my dad has been a Maine guide for how long now, Dad? I'm guessing around 35 years. So he goes, so it's just like a correlation. You guys now, we all hunt West Virginia together. I grew up hunting there with you guys. And then uh, now you guys transferred, you guys hunt Maine and do your business out of there. You guys were fortunate, and we were fortunate to have you as clients. You come out and did a lion hunt with us. Uh, now that you've been back home and been stewing on that, I'm sure you told the story a couple hundred times. That what stood out the most? It was, it was actually harder hunting than I thought. I knew it would be tough, and I thought, well, I can get through the woods pretty decent. And, you know, it made a liar out of me. Yeah, it was it was off the hook different than what I was used to. It, <laughs> You guys hunt hard. You know, I thought we hunted hard to get up at 3.30 in the morning to go look for a bear track. You guys are up at 1 o'clock looking for cat tracks. And then, you know, once you get one treed, the walk into it, you know, you got the terrain out there is unbelievably rough to begin with. And then put a, a foot of snow on top of that. Oh, it took the, it took the snuff out of me. You guys are experienced hound hunters. You already had the mentality. You knew what was going to happen to the, for the most part. How different was it being a client rather than a guide? I'm going to say for me, I was the first one to get lucky enough to, to fill my tag. But, you know, just going up in there, I'm like, you know, I'm like, I don't know if it's the adrenaline that's getting me. You, we get up close and then you got big cliffs in there and you're like, Dude, if I fall, I could be, I could hurt, you know. <laughs> and it's like, or it I, might I mean, not. <laughs> then here I'm the one that has to do the shooting, and usually I'm pretty calm taking the client in, but, you know, this was a different situation, you know. Was it hard to, like, relinquish some of the control? No. No, no because. No, because <laughs> let me tell you, it was the first morning I'm, like, on edge because I'm, like, yeah, we're, we're low on tags, you know. Low and, on sleep. Jimmy, he's like, we're going to check out this spot, and he's like, yeah, let's get, they have really good sandwiches here. I want to stop and get a sandwich. Then he gets a bowl of soup, and I'm like, I'm sitting here in the back of the truck watching him, you know, eat a bowl of soup, and I'm like, how long is it? I paid for. Yeah, I'm like, seriously, I'm ready to look for tracks, and he's up there eating a bowl of soup. (laughs) I learned that off one of the best. Dick Hevner, best, best houndsman I've ever been in the woods with, can... He looks like he's doing nothing but always produces because he never makes a mistake. He's always thinking three or four steps in advance. You know, and, and I that day I knew there was snow coming down and there was nothing that we were gonna do to push forward unless things happened just the way it happened and Yeah, it's, that's just from it's fortunate to hunt so many days consecutive. We went right from 
elk and deer hunting one day break into hound hunting so we're seeing game constantly move and we had snow coming early that morning we kind of knew stuff was going to hunker down and even if we did find a track it was going to be frivolous to try to run it until the snow was done i mean because you don't know how the what time of day the track was made pretty much so you're not knowing you have to do a lot of more footwork it actually is a good thing because you get to sit back and see how other people doing it even like on eric's you know found the track six o'clock in the morning you know can't turn loose to eight so it's like two hours of like trying to figure this out i'm the type of been like i had dogs loose by now you (laughs) you guys were taking a lot of leg work out for the dogs and and figuring for the dogs and that i mean impressed me i'll be honest with you so i can touch on what it's like i wasn't being guided but i had all of my guides there and whenever you're johnny on the spot and you have to shoot and you not only have people there that's relying on you to make a shot you have all the dogs and it's it's pressure time when you go in that roar and then it it's all fine until you actually start to shoulder that gun or for me it was pulling that bow back i didn't do very good shooting but luckily you guys did well that's a great point that i forgot all about you know jeremy and i have took hundreds of people into a tree to take a bear it was a different story when i was getting took into for that cat oh my gosh yeah i don't know he's just you fall to pieces you do i mean seriously you you look you get a lot of pressure on you you lean on the guy taking you in there yeah it puts a whole different perspective when you're the one in the hot seat you know are you listening to all the all the things that was gone over on the way to the tree you know are the dogs all tied back are you waiting for the guy to give you the okay to shoot it's it's a whole different ball game when you're in the hot seat for sure it definitely is like i it never ever occurred to me until after i'd taken my line i'm like wow now i know what the guys feel that i do this all the time with how they feel walking in there they're like you know you're their crutch going in there touch on what morgan asked do you you know you have your own guide service and you're going out with a guide totally not me i'm like i'm here i mean i've been a dog guy for 30 years but i'm (laughs) i've never loosed on a line before so i'm gonna shut up and watch yeah i sat in the truck with logan that's when i learned a lot logan right Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, because if that was a bear chase I would have been like, let's go gather them up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Logan's a third generation houndsman. He that he's savvy young dude. He, or he's a little bit younger than me, but he's did a lot of hound hunting. He's got some powerhouse dogs. He, how'd you get into introduced to hound hunting? I had to pioneer it myself. Um, I got out of the service in 1992, came back home, and started working for my dad. And he had a contractor up there running dozer for him that was in with the, a family back home the jones family that run a lot of hounds and as soon as i got out i, I just fell in love with him. i'm like I, you got to take me with you and and he did and it wasn't a year later i had my own hound running with him and it just took off from there there's a little bit of a story back to that supposedly ellie jones had wrote a letter to somebody in Arizona about a bear or lion dog, and that was the first bear and lion, or actually first bear dog back in our part of the country. 
since the Bears basically come back. West Virginia tried to bring the Bears back, and up at uh, C1, where Eric's talking about, is where on the Dominion Power Company is where they first brought the Bears back and started releasing them in our part of the country. I don't know the time frame, you know, but that could be looked up with the Jones family and the Schrock families, kind of the, the ones that really brought it back to our part of the country. Interesting. So you had some good teachers that you fell right in with, some old-time Hounds family. that I did, yeah. They were – yeah, some old timers, and one of them just passed away, old Snuffy Jones. But yep, they yeah. taught me a lot. I remember hunting my Snuffy. How about you, Jeremy? <clears throat> well, I actually didn't start bear hunting until probably uh, 10, 15 years ago. Um, I'd always coon hunted a lot as a kid and clear up through. Um, always wanted to go bear hunting, but no, it's hard to get these old time bear hunters won't take people very often with them they're like nah i'll take you sometimes so and i'd ask eric about going he's like uh sometimes so it never did happen but <laughs> my stepson was actually real good for buddies with him and so he started hunting with him he got a couple dogs then he turned you know 20 years old and he started chasing women instead of chasing dogs so we had these dogs at the house and I said, well, they can't just set on a box. You just can't have a dog set on a box. So that's when I started bear hunting, you know. So they weren't very good dogs looking back at them. So you <laughs> just started yourself, just no, going out just, and find Just hunting with Eric. Okay, and, and going. I know you guys, now you turned it from a passion, you've turned it into pay, hunting, you're doing your guide service up in Maine. How, what drew you to the state of Maine? We just heard about um, the bear season in Maine, and we're like, that would be great to keep our dogs sharp there you go. for you know yeah. west virginia's yeah. um, season in december maine would be just perfect to keep our dogs sharp so we we actively pursued trying to find somewhere to hunt up there right on it started as just going to maine and hunting for fun so for anyone that thinks that houndsmen don't do everything they possibly can so that You're they're right. getting the most training in as possible every year. So you bought an entire outfit in Maine <laughs> to make sure that your dogs stayed in shape and continued to run and do what they love. You're exactly right, and that's how we started going up there because we're like, to actually get some some harvest in and, and let your dogs get some bear fur in their mouth which is their reward we're like we gotta we gotta look into somewhere else and we found maine and so we got hooked up in maine with an outfitter up there that needed somebody they needed dog guys for their clients they were booking dog clients and didn't have hound houndsmen so but Morgan's absolutely right. It, it started out as just a reason to keep your dog sharp. Speaking of making them sharp, for the people that don't understand getting a kill to your dog does, it'd be like watching a professional football game and we didn't keep any score and at the end of it no one won, there was no championship, everybody just went about it every single day, you played it and it was over. And they don't understand ethics and that whole thing. They are hunting that animal to catch it and once they actually have bit a hold of it after it's been killed. It's a sense of reward that we probably can't understand as people. I mean, so that's why you're trying to get your dogs more of them to fire up those dogs, put the light in them. I mean, because it definitely will. Absolutely. I mean, we 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 can train here all the time and treat a bear with these dogs, and and you have to pull them off the bear in training season, which is they've done great. They've treated the bear, but 
their reward is just like you said, getting a little bit of fur in their mouth, and they live for that. Yeah, those they'll, dogs absolutely live for it. Yeah, they'll naturally just run and chase and tree. That's what they're born to do. But it just that little extra spark when they can get something killed to them. Yes. That's their touchdown. That's the touchdown. <laughs> That's the championship at the end of it for them. That's right. You got to do a lot of hunting to get a good dog. Oh, you do. There's a lot of thought process that goes in. We just don't go grabbing dogs and every one of them runs and gets along. Yeah, and I kind of had this discussion with your dad a little bit. It's very, very difficult to get the kind of dog you're looking for. Well, so you're running a hunting service now, so you just can't have mediocre dogs when you're going there. You got to you got to produce game. You're on the hot seat for a client. Why don't we go into the time it takes to make a dog? What you look for if you're getting one as a pup versus if you go and purchase one off that's already been trained. I ran into a bind where I didn't have that much good stuff to begin with, and then I lost a good dog. I got in the market to buy a finished dog, and... I got so lucky, but I'm going to tell you, she made my whole pack. She was... One good hound can make you famous. Absolutely, Jim. That's what I've yep. always told everybody that's ever bear hunted around me, because that dog will carry a pack, it'll lead a pack, it will train a pack, it'll train the hunter, it'll train the guide. Yep, she brought me back. She was an amazing dog. She trained everything that I've had after her. I got so lucky on that one, because I've bought plenty of dogs after her and nothing i won't do it again i'll, I'll buy pups off of people like jim and, and and people that have good bear bloodline you'll never buy one off me buddy i always give you one <laughs> that's true that is true turnkey dogs you spend a lot of money on them i know because of the bear seasons coming to montana a lot of the dogs from the west virginia north carolina virginia areas they were going west for big price tags on them to have strike dogs uh, for our spring bear season that was just come last year first time it's been going on can everybody agree two years old should be probably a finished hound it should, should be, be doing it yeah it should be starting they should be doing the deal you should find out whether you got a superstar it's just going to be mediocre whether at that point I yep mean. i think as these guys can vouch for it in a three-week period we've seen a dog in montana that never seen a mountain lion in the end of the three weeks she's a proven dog at 11 months old the superstars are going to be superstars the guys that start slow may be above average but superstars start out as superstars absolutely this dog they're talking about she she's losing her mind on a cat i mean losing her mind she, she's going to be something and i think that boiled down to having puppies at the right timing um i would love to have puppies at certain times of the year but you want to get a puppy so that it kind of comes of age for hunting right as hunting season starts in. And it worked great for Brummy. She was almost too small to hunt in bear season, but she got to go along a lot in our spring bear. And then she got to stew on that all summer, us running, riding, going horse riding. And then we just did a good training lesson on her, and then she went right into lion hunting at under a year old. So it, it worked out perfect for age. You take a, bear, you take a young bear dog that has... Uh struggling just a little bit on uh, tree in or something and you get a bear that yo-yos a tree and will come out of the tree and run 50 yards and tree again come out of the tree and run 50 yards and tree again and that will turn the corner on any young dog that needs a corner turned on it 
the amount of game someone's catching, you can attribute that to healthy dogs. I mean, that dog's being hunted in the off season. He's being kept healthy. Healthy dog's a happy dog and a productive dog. Yeah, and they're running through a strict maintenance of that animal to keep its feet, to keep everything on it. Yep. It's not it it's portrayed everybody thinks that we tie these dogs to blue barrels and feed them gunpowder and lead and we turn them loose and they go eat the ass off of a bear or a lion and we shoot the animals it's fearing for its life and it's as far from what happens it's a lot of care a lot of care and even more training you're training these dogs oh five days a week sometimes it's a total passion you if you're if you're a dedicated houndsman it's not a nine to five job it's 24 hours a day i saw a boy one time advertise a dog for sale and it was tied up to a really bad dog box and they're trying to sell this dog and i'm like if you want to sell your dog you know show a picture of it on a bear show a picture of it rigging on your truck or something like that and oh my gosh i put that on the comments and everybody blew me up for being mean so (laughs) so social media is terrible for hound hunting it can be great as a platform for our sport to let people see it but it can also be portrayed terribly bad if it's not watched or regulated i see it a lot with the young with a lot of young hunters in west virginia that are just getting into it they have to put every bear they kill on social media and they'll show the dogs woolling on the bear which is great for the dogs, but to, it can be taken out of context, just like you said, by the antis. And yeah, yeah. It. The thing with social media is the majority of that is people that want to try to be famous, the, the, other than just keeping your mouth shut and wearing out a pair of Kenetrek boots. Mm-hmm. That's how you become famous as as a houndsman. Wear out six or eight good lead straps. Make six or eight packs of bear dogs. Stay off social media. Okay, but now. Yeah. Houndsmen, because I did not know about houndsmen before I had met this family. Houndsmen <laughs> are very clan-oriented. Eric um, just said that whenever he was starting yeah. hunting. Yeah. So wouldn't you think that as an older generation a houndsman, and you see someone posting something um, that will portray it badly, that you would take responsibility and go talk to the younger generation and kind of say, we need recruitment, we need the younger generation to get into this sport to keep it alive um this is why it's not a good idea to post those things because it can be misinterpreted and if you need to post those things at least explain it to your viewers as to why the hounds are doing it and instead of allowing it to have an open interpretation to anti-hunters and people that don't understand it so i think that you have a lot of that guys branching off and not being restricted on what they put on there is they're not tied in with those old group of hounds people and it's not like going on a deer hunt it's not like hey come with us bring your couple your dogs they might be crap eaters they might they don't want you to turn even bring their dogs in with other houndsmen that have been in it for a long time it's very regimental how they do their dogs and one or two dogs running around like idiots or chasing deer or things like that can blow up everything it can turn a good day into total chaos instead of it running like an oiled machine those people that can't learn or maybe aren't respectable enough to bring only one dog or start into it slow they try to dive in and they push too far and guys don't invite them back to go hunting and that's 
Right, and uh, we've ran into this before. So Jeremy and I are like, I don't, I don't want to sound like we're prudes, but um, we've tried taking people hunting with us, and we're to the point now where we have to know a good bit about you. Like, i got a young man hunting with us now that Jeremy and I both know. He wants to get into the sport, so we've been taking him w- with us every time. But that's the only person we take. I mean, we hunt in a small group, but... We've been burnt too many times bringing a lot of people in. Yeah, and it happens. And then that young guy that doesn't have anybody to hunt with, and he's the one blowing up social media, putting it up bad, he's trying to get recognition from the guys that are into the hounds. They want them to see that their dogs are doing great, and it just backfires, I think, completely it, how it's supposed to be portrayed. You're right. What did Walter Payton say? When you talk about yourself, you're probably pretty good. When other people talk about you, you're probably really, really yeah. good. I think that'll say it about as good as it is. Sure. It does, but at a, at a certain I think when you reach a certain a certain period in hunting, you need to Go ahead and say it. Age. When you hit a certain age or it even could be experience in hunting, you adopt I'm very passionate about making like the next group like bringing it on hound hunting like we've just talked about. I don't really know how to bring hound hunters into it because of what all we've talked about, but there's got to be a way to bridge that gap i mean to get them in there i think it's a harder sport to get recruits in because you're going to be running your dogs and um one mistake from someone that's not experienced could cost that dog its life or um a hefty vet bill just like when um we're trying to get walker and jay and brock into hound hunting and josh is a nervous wreck sometimes whenever those guys would be responsible i mean i think they would lay their life on the line for one of our dogs just as well as josh would but it's still a lot of responsibility um that you put on to a new hunter so there's got to be different ways to kind of get some recruitment in we got to be honest this ain't a coon hunt with your pap neither we're running something with tooth and claws this is like this is the, the the best of hound hunting we're running a big game animal that it's not easy to pursue some would talk that a bear is probably the hardest one of the hardest things to catch most i think it's way harder to catch than a lion it just it takes a different type of dog it can be gnarly at points and times and i think it takes a certain mentality a person to stay in it for years and years and years and keep doing it i think that's it in a nutshell right there is because if you take 10 young guys hound hunting if one of them stick with it, it's probably amazing because you can't quit when you want to quit. When you turn dogs loose, you're done when them dogs are back at the house, tied up, fed. If they need veterinarian service, they get veterinarian service before you eat dinner. That's that's what has to happen. I'm lucky to be married with the amount of time that I've spent getting dogs at nighttime, all hours of the night, and then get back up the next morning and go to work to try to maintain a job. There's very few young guys that are willing to put out that effort because you can't play it on your phone. This happens in big country. I mean, I've, I've crawled down in holes and brought dogs out with, in, in holes over the years. It's just nobody, nobody will crawl down in a hole that has their right mind and says they enjoy it to pull dogs off of a bear caught in a hole. But it has to be done because they're not coming out of there unless you put hands on them. Today's equipment helps a good bit because you can tone them and they will back up a little bit. But as soon as they start backing up, bear gets aggressive at that point. But when you get there, they get super aggressive also because they they know that 
you got their back. Explain yeah. what a hole is, because so so a hole is West Virginia and and the western part of Maine is full of holy country. It's it's a mountainside that's cracked open and rocks piled up that a bear can get back in and protect its butt. I and mean, you've crawled down in the hole to grab hounds. I've crawled past the bears sometimes to get dogs out. Sometimes I wonder how I even got out of some of them without getting marked up. I'm jealous of Ben Duff because he does got a couple bear marks. I know, on right? <laughs> I got to say the same thing. I am too. I've, I've, <laughs> I've been stepped on by him, but that's about it. Yeah, you know. That right there just touches on how it's a you and the hound are a team. I mean, that wasn't even Ben's hound, but Festus jumped right in there, saved Ben, and Ben would have done the same thing for for that hound. So it just goes to show the lengths that houndsmen will go to make sure that all the dogs come out of the woods and get to their dog boxes for the night so we ran we just got this new section this new township to uh run on anyway we get this bear jumped we get it running and it's going into this section we hadn't been in before it gets into some young growth pine i mean they, they were small and it was so thick and the dogs had it bait up in there and so they're fighting him in this thicket so i take a couple hunters with me and another um resident guide and we crawl in through there crawling in through these pines and we finally get i mean it's so thick that you do you're crawling you're just crawling kind of like being in the laurel back here yep. back home you're just crawling through these pines because you can't stand up and we get to where the dogs are fighting the bear we're right there and um uh, I got the shooter right beside me, and I'm like, what can you see? He goes, I can see the bear, and I lean over to where he's at, and I can see the bear too, and it's it's like four yards in front of us. Just, he had that one hole. So I said, you get a shot, shoot him. Make sure you don't shoot a dog. So he leans over on one shoulder, and I'm right beside him. He's like, I got a good shot, and boom, he shoots. Well, I can see just a little bit. It's so thick in there. I can just see the black of the bear. And like I said, we're four yards. I can see him moving a little bit, and then I hear a dog go, or, or. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I start fast crawling towards the bear, and I get in this little tiny open spot where I can finally stand up. And I stand up, and there's the bear. He's right at just a yard in front of my feet. And he, I don't know if he swatted his dog and made it yelp, but there weren't any dogs hurt. But he saw me stand up, and he forgot about every dog that was there. And he came right at me, and I always carry 44 on my chest and with the red dot on it or laser. And I put that laser; I could just see him coming. It was just like a total drill that we did in when you're um, law enforcement. You do a shooting and backing drills all the time, shooting while backing. Yeah. And I did that total drill right there. I was backing up as much as I could in them pines while shooting and shot him in the head, but. He was coming right, and he dropped right at my boots. I've, I've seen some guys fall clear apart on situations like that, bait up. Like, I've seen guys just go into total shock. Are when they the ones that own the hounds, or are they clients? No, the guys that have the hounds, they go into save mode yeah, because save mode. You, are, it, you are totally just only aware of your dog's safety at that point in time. You, get, you don't even think about anything else but trying to <clears> – <throat> get the bear problem neutralized if that is killing it or whatever it takes to get that part that part of the danger separated and then making sure that all the dogs are good absolutely and so that's a common misconception that houndsmen 
force their dogs to do this, um, put them in harm's way, and then if they get killed, they get killed. It's not really <coughs> much, but why, do you guys have any stories of some crazy things that you had to do to save a dog? Or I've seen your husband pack a dog Fine. across the Blackwater River with ice chunks as big as this table, pack one of Dick Hevner's dogs that was chewed up a little bit, well, more than a little bit, across the Blackwater River, taking a chance of hypothermia. I mean, I've seen that. I see him jump in the Blackwater one day. We had dogs cold trailing, and Sis went through the ice, and he jumped in the river and busted the ice out and got Sis before she went under completely. Yep. I mean, we've all we've all done it, and it, it's it's rescue, it's save mode, yeah. and it, it, it's it's without us thinking. You almost give your life for what the dogs give you, and I always tell everybody, you can't expect your dogs to give you any more than what you'll give them. You know, it doesn't matter how hard it is to get to the tree, what time of day, what time of night. If you expect them to stay treed, they expect you to be there. You treat them like they're family members because... Uh, I've shed way more tears for dogs than I ever have for people. Isn't that the truth? It yeah. is. Oh, my gosh. And if you if you start to look back and the antis really see this as an open slate, most of these dogs don't get killed by a bear. Most of them are injuries, uh, torn ligaments, like any professional athlete, you know just retires them over time it, it retires them there's only so many years that uh, you know a linebacker can play in the nfl and there's only so many years that these high quality athletes of hounds can do their job i mean josh has a dog out there right now he's 13 years old you know he was my lead dog and he got a torn ligament in his back leg pretty much ended him for being a bear dog in the eastern part of the united states he still does a pretty good job on lions even though he's washed up but he yeah. likes to go he was at a tree this year we took that, him this yeah. year <laughs> and that's a, rough on him i've retired dogs he's and, still limping oh, <laughs> they good. hate it you load other dogs up they they, they, oh, live, they, they live for it. this hunters have been using dogs as a tool for thousands of years and uh hopefully we can continue to use them as a tool and a, a sport that generations can enjoy to come and hopefully through these podcasts we can shed a little light on the let a little light on what we do and um, hopefully bring some people over to our side and maybe portray it as something that is a useful tool we're trying to get clients like information let's go over you guys' outfit a little bit where we're at in Maine is it located Patton Patton, Maine way yeah. up north so your clients come in how many day hunt is it it's a five-day hunt. We have one big lodge. Yep. Um, it has a kitchen and a much like what um, we have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, just like that. We have um, a bunk room up above the main lodge, and then we also have several small cabins outside of the lodge. The first season that comes in is is um, hunting over bait. Hound season doesn't come in right away. We, you guys operate that also. We do. We right get on. we get some good many. Um, guys that like to hunt over bait had a really good year last year high success rate i'm sure yeah pretty good pretty Pretty good good. um if they do tag out say someone kills what do you guys like offer that they can go do or do they just tag along on the hound hunt um we got some good um brook trout fishing most of the guys really want to go back and watch their buddies get on a hunt we do that but they also and it depends when season comes in because if it's early in the year they can't do it but 
a little bit later in the year when um, grouse season is in, the guys, I tell them to bring a shotgun. Yeah. A lot of grouse up there. We do a good bit of grouse hunting, um, snowshoe. Why don't you guys give a shout-out for your business, a place where somebody could get a hold of you guys? I mean, yeah. Well, Jer- Jeremy, do you know what the name of the business is? <laughs> I want to give Eric a chance to talk. <laughs> <laughs> We're uh, Backbone Mountain Guide Service. We're out of West Virginia, but um, we'll be hunting in Patton, Maine. Lots of bears come up and see us. We have a Facebook page you can contact us on. For the people listening to this podcast, book a hunt somewhere that you're not comfortable going. (laughs) Because just to learn how people do stuff in different areas will just blow your mind. You know, when I first went to Maine, I, I just... The country is amazing up there. I mean, you'd never think in the Northeast that there's that much country that's it's undeveloped. Big. It's big. The North the North Main Woods is like four and a half million acres of undeveloped country, not even a paved road in it. So then you, you go to West Virginia, and you got the most beautiful mountains and red oak and white oak and food sources. It's just beautiful. Then you go to Montana, you know, and you got the big spruce and the big ponderosa pine. Just book a hunt somewhere that you're not comfortable doing. Do the same species that you're comfortable hunting, but do it somewhere different so you can experience something different. We lion hunted in New Mexico. We hunted 16 days without getting a, a bark on a lion, but we're hunting bare ground, and it was just an experience to hunting with my son in Montana where you find a track basically every day if you're willing to put forth some effort. You know, do something. Expand your horizons and book, book a hunt. I mean, none of us are going to, you know, live forever. And if you don't do something, man, you, you'll regret it the rest of your life. I think that's how these guys decided to go lion hunting. Oh, absolutely. I mean, whew. I mean, it just seemed, I don't know, really, really tough. And that is a huge understatement. Holy cow. I get out there. These guys are getting it all a 24-7. They're getting it. And then you get into this Montana terrain, which – you know, we all think we're badasses in our own terrain. and Don't you guys all agree, though? I mean, we're, we're all talking about running hounds, but experiencing different parts of the country. It's just, it's just fun seeing something different. Absolutely. We shouldn't look at each other as competition as long as it's a top-notch run operation. We should be a partnership. That's what we're hoping this podcast will bring is um, like-minded outfitters and guides across the whole country that can come together and offer kind of the same kind of hunts that we offer just honest hardworking, have a passion for what we do um and we'd like to give other outfitters a chance to get on the podcast and tell some stories and everything but um one of the best ways to find a good outfitter and to get to know them are these shows so we'll all be at the northeast ohio sportsman show um this next coming weekend to get FaceTime with these um outfitters to ask them questions you can tell a lot what kind of hunt you're about to book if you can get face to face with them and ask outfitters the right kind of questions which we do have a list on our blog of some questions to ask outfitters um and we ha- also go through that in some of the previous podcasts hopefully it's a platform everybody can get to know you guys a little bit of backstories and your passion about it and you know nobody's out there promoting good outfitting business and and these two are young you guys are young you can you guys can work off each other there's only so many bears that somebody's want there's only so many elk that they want so 
good businesses can refer to good businesses and that's, that's right yeah. that's the way it needs to work and when they come to a hunting camp if they're in the right environment they don't leave as a client they leave as a friend and yes. this lets you kind of we started this as a platform blood money it it sounds carnage and the name just we we made it it was by design but it did we literally get our hands bloody for money i mean that's what it's what the name of the game is and yep it's a way for you guys to share everything and well, it's a great platform and I mean, i'd love to come back out and see you because you boys hunt hard <laughs> thank you, boys you. Hunt hard. thank you very much i uh, thank all the listeners and we'll be doing some more of these all thank right. you all right thanks You're